So, uh, guys, what's your favorite race? Like, what race do you think is the best? Like, foot race? Uh, yeah, I like the hurdles. I think the hurdles is the best race. Because <laughs> you have to jump as well. I think it makes, adds a little bit it's of... It's like high-risk running. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that was Inner Circle with Bad Boys. And today we're talking about some really bad boys. The bad motherfuckers who steal shit. We're going to talk about heists. My name is Morgan, and I'm joined, as always, by Brad who is a bad person, and by Lachlan. How are we today, guys? Pumped to talk about heists? Uh, I, I feel, I'm feeling like uh, stealing the show tonight. So <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well done. Well done. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a tough word to say for someone like me. Heists. I can say the singu- singular, but the plural is a bit tricky. So I might just try heists. to stick to the singular. Right. Singular. Yeah. singular heist. All right. So... Yeah. Before we get into it, Lachlan, do you want to crack open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Oh, okay. God. Never get so, uh, behind the scenes, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of our listeners already picked up on this, but for the last five weeks, I have reviewed the exact same beer, Matilda Bay Frothy, um, and... After the last episode we recorded, uh, Brad only just realized it took him five weeks to realize that I had done the exact same beer. So uh, I'm doing something different now. It's not a Matilda Bay frothy. Uh, I've got myself a nice room temperature glass of water. Uh, all right, do you want to crack uh, it open and tell us what you think? I've, I've been a little bit under the weather this weekend, so uh, my stomach is not quite feeling up to having a beer. So I'm just gonna just gonna review this water for you guys. <laughs> He's drinking it. Oh, he looks happy. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> really pH neutral, is it? <laughs> mm. Really hits the spot, quenches the thirst. Yeah, it does, I guess. After all this shit you guys have given me for unpreparedness and <laughs> just in general, you're going to hit me with a fucking room I temperature think, water. I think the difference here is, Brad, that Lachlan did prepare something. It was just shit, but at least he did prepare something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so thanks for that, Lachlan. Uh, um, by the way, I just want to give, like, for people to know that we it's not like we record episodes back to back, like... There was time between each one of your yeah, cracking over the cold one with the boys, so that it was possible for me to forget which one you'd done yeah, last there time. There was entire week between each episode. There was two sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so and, and I noticed I, in the last episode, I was I was like, that sounds familiar, but I just thought that it was me thinking like a bit of deja vu, and I'm like, whatever, <laughs> nah, it's a glitch in the matrix. Deja vu, and then yes. I listened to three episodes back to back that we'd already recorded that we'd put up there just to, you know, run through to check for mistakes and everything. And I noticed, like, I think it was the second episode I had to go back. And then I went back and checked all of the episodes that we'd previously recorded. <laughs> and I realized just how big a fucking fool you'd made me look like. <laughs> you said a couple uh, of things as well. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I made myself sound so fucking stupid. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, what did you say in the last episode that was really funny? You were like, I was like, oh, you were like, oh, bad this, run or something. Yeah, you like were that. like, the streak continues, and I was like, yeah. yes, Brad, the streak does continue. <laughs> Get right. You look like a right fucking idiot. Yeah. All right. So anyway, before we uh, before we jump into this topic, we should uh, define the terms. So we want to go through the difference between a heist, a robbery, a theft. And a burglary. So, a theft just means stealing. It's taking something that you don't have a right to. And uh, me personally, I usually think of a thief as someone who would, like, nick someone's laptop when they're not guarding it. Or, you know, if um, they take money from the till at work. Like, it, it doesn't seem like a violent action to me when somebody is a, is a thief. But when someone's a robber, yep. then they're, you know, the definition of robbery is theft by way of force or the threat of force. So, if you're a robber, then you make someone give you something by force. So, what about a burglar? Right. Well, uh, a heist is the exact same thing as a robbery, apparently. As far as I can tell, they're synonyms from official definitions. And I was like, I feel like a heist yeah. takes more planning. Wow. Like yeah, I, like I, I definitely think a heist moment. is like well planned out. They have like a room with stuff all over the walls and yeah, you know, plan it for weeks or months at a time. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. I think naturally people think of a heist as something that's well organized. It's like a really intelligent definitely. plan to steal something worth a shitload of money, either money itself or some jewels or something like that. But it's a robbery. Like they say heist and a robbery is the same thing. But I think a robbery is like when you hold up a corner store or mug somebody. Yeah. But when you steal yeah. a diamond or you rob a bank and you plan it out meticulously that's a heist so, it's more elegant yeah so what's a pickpocket then <laughs> what the fuck? uh well the burglary that's a, a pocket heist <laughs> uh, uh, i just found this out but a burglary just means to enter someone's premises without permission it just means to break in it doesn't even include stealing just like oh, trespassing. breaking and entering. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, usually the, the reason the person's breaking in is to steal something. So, burglary kind of almost implies a theft, but it, it doesn't have to be. If you if you just steal something and then just dance around someone... Sorry, if you just break in and then just dance around the house, don't do anything, you've burgled the house. Isn't that weird? Okay. And what's <laughs> the weird. difference between a dwarf and a midget? <laughs> <laughs> Arm length, I think. Ah. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, people who participate in heists are usually seen as like a, a genius career criminal, but thefts, mm. I think, mostly, uh, you know, an inside job at a business, usually done by dumb fucks who get caught because they're idiots. So, do you guys know of anybody <laughs> in real life, either know personally or know of anybody, who's got caught stealing stuff, stealing money from work? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell? Yes. Can you can you tell us about this, Luther? Um, I cannot identify he or she, uh, at risk of legal repercussions. Um, but he or she kind of narrows it I, down, doesn't it? <laughs> at a place that I used to work, um, a person was caught taking money from the tills each shift, um, because they were behind on their bills. Uh, I just don't know how you think you're going to get away with that. Like, the tills get counted at the end of each night. Yeah, they're floated, aren't they? Yeah, Maybe. they're going to notice missing money. And it wasn't small amounts. It was like 100 to $200 each time. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. Maybe at a small Shit. business or something, it would be, you know, you could say, oh, there must be a, an error in the counting or something like that. But you think that- Maybe. You worked at a big company, so you'd think those sort of yeah, people- Yeah, this wasn't a small business. They know how to fucking- Sort this stuff yeah. out. Yeah, They're it's all it's all uh, automated, and you know, there's no human error really. Not not on that scale. 
Yeah, um, I think there's a difference between working. He in... or she was fired. Wow. <laughs> Subsequently, <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> I uh, I used to work in retail, and I remember one night we well we had a really big day. We had like a sale on, so there was like heaps of business like flat out. I think we did like forty or fifty thousand for the day, and my till was out about two grand at one stage. Oh, and Bradley, like, were you stealing? <clears throat> I was shitting myself is what I was. Because <laughs> I'm like, what? I haven't touched anything. If I took two grand, at least I'd have the two grand. But um, no, it's just miscounted. But for like 40 minutes, like I had to stay back. I was shitting myself. I'm like, they're going to try to pin this two grand on me. It's outrageous. <laughs> and then you got Brad. <laughs> no, I quit. Stitch up. But not after that, just when I got a better job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I used to work at a, a server, and, um, like, at a few different locations that the one guy owned. So, I'd work at, you know, different ones around town. And um, at one of the places, it got held up, like, twice in... Um, oh, not held up, sorry. But somebody broke in overnight and stole the money twice in, like, a couple of months. It was burgled. <laughs> yeah, it was burgled. <laughs> so, uh, someone broke in, like, twice within a couple of months. And then they were like, all right, well, twice means it was probably... An inside job. So, uh, yeah, it, it turns out that one of the guys who was working there just gave his keys to somebody else because he didn't want to actually steal it himself. <laughs> but he just gave it to a friend and said, you know, like, this is how you get in. There's no, you know, security or whatever. This is where we keep the money, blah, blah, blah. So, he just gave his keys to his uh, friend. Yeah, something else that was genius. Something else that was funny one time is that we, at the petrol station, there were the old pumps. So, you'd have to turn them off at night so nothing would come out of it. And uh, oh, no. a couple of times people forgot to turn the pumps off at night. So someone would come in and oh, like we no. close at nine o'clock. Someone would come in at like 10 and start filling up their car and then realize, you know, the store was closed or whatever. And then they just call off all their buddies and they're like, hey, go down to this server. You can get free petrol all night. <laughs> <laughs> so in the morning, it's just like hundreds and hundreds of liters of petrol are just gone. So, um, Oops. heist of the century in Geelong, that was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway. That's the dream, isn't it, really? Yeah. Because you're like, you're hurting some well, faceless corporation. Well, with today's petrol prices. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who's, who's stealing from whom, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're all thieves, am I right? Yeah. Social commentary. Um, <laughs> yeah, and one time I was driving in Melbourne along uh, uh, Burke Street in Glen Iris, like East Malvern sort of area. And I was driving past a jewelry store and I looked across and the uh, windows and stuff were all smashed out. And uh, I was like, oh shit, something went on here. And it was, it was after the, um, the heist had occurred, but before the police got there. So, like, the rest of the day- I'm Oh, just, you were fresh on the oh, scene. You were, yeah, first on the scene. I was scene. just driving past. And then the rest of the day, I was like- um, refreshing twitter and then you know trying to see it and then yeah like, uh, not long after it came up that you know there was this smash and grab with uh, these guys that had robbed the the jewelry store so i saw that before like the police got there i was like oh fuck i came across a heist Ooh. so that was quite exciting <laughs> <laughs> that's my good, closest experience um all right so we're each going to talk about a famous heist so uh we've we've got ones that are uh, regular sort of bog standard heist, like, you know, money and jewelry and stuff. Then we've got uh, a couple of interesting ones as well. So, Lachlan, do you want to kick us off? Oh, yeah. Oh, I look forward to this. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Okay. You ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, born. 
I don't think you are. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a story anyway. In April of 2005, a landscaping company specializing in synthetic grass called Grama Sintetica opened up shop in Fortaleza, oh, Brazil. That is spicy. Business dirty, appeared dirty. to be booming. As for months, trucks could be said transporting soil away from the property. The company's owner, Paolo Sergio, was well known and well liked by neighbors and surrounding businesses. Three months later, on Monday the 8th of August 2005, employers at the Banco Central, two blocks away from Grama Sintetica, opened the vault to find it empty. On Friday afternoon, it had been filled with 50 real notes ready to be destroyed, withdrawn from circulation as they had no serial numbers and were thus untraceable. Oh, yes. For the last three months, Sergio, whose real identity is still a mystery, and his accomplices had tunneled from their innocent-looking shop to the Banco Central vault. The tunnel, an impressive feat of engineering with wooden supports, plastic lining, lighting, a ventilation system, and even air conditioning, was four metres deep, 78 metres long, and had displaced 30 tonnes of soil. Over the weekend, the robbers, who had nicknames like Armadillo, Big Boss, and The German, (laughs) smashed their way through the 1.1-metre-thick steel-reinforced floor of the bank vault and made off with 164 million reals, roughly 59 million Australian, uh, weighing in at over 3.5 tonnes. Holy fuck. Upon investigating, police found that the entire fake store had been covered in chalk dust, to mask the gang's fingerprints. The only security system inside the vault was a few cameras that displayed video to a monitor, but did not record. Police had no leads, just a fake name and some vague descriptions from neighbours. It was the perfect crime. The perfect crime, however, (laughs) does not always involve the perfect criminals. (laughs) The day after the vault had been found emptied, a man involved with the heist went to a car dealership and bought 10 cars at once, paying cash for all of them. The police were tipped off and they caught up to him driving a car carrier out of the state. Three of the cars were full of 50 real bills with no serial numbers. He squealed immediately, implicating over three dozen people, including a security guard who worked at the Banco Central and the mayor of a nearby town. Some were never caught, some escaped custody, and one was even kidnapped, held for ransom, and murdered. But in all, 26 men with nicknames like Big Digger, The Tortured, and Little Fernando ended up in prison, sentenced to 133 crimes between them. Today, only 20 million reals, roughly 7 million Australian, have been recovered, and the Banco Central heist is recognized by Guinness World Records as the greatest bank robbery of all time. Wow. Holy shit. Right, Lachlan, I've amazing. got a question for you. Hit me. Um, what Can you translate into English, Banco Central? Uh, that would be the central bank. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was t- totally confused. It's can the, you start again now? It's the, state-run, it's the state-run bank of Brazil. Oh, nice. Oh. Now, Brazil so, isn't known for crime and corruption and stuff, so I'm just flabbergasted <laughs> that this happened. <laughs> it's their chief export, is it? 
<laughs> but uh, you said in there it was the perfect crime. I, you know, we should keep a tracker of how many times the three of us combined say perfect crime tonight because I'm going to drop it <laughs> a bunch of times. But yeah, you're right. Like, you, you know, what do you do when somebody steals a bunch of money? Oh, just go around and see who has been, you know, <laughs> going nuts at strip clubs, who's been going nuts at car yeah, dealerships. Right. It's not, right. you know, just fucking, can you wait a month to spend the but money yeah, that you stole? Didn't, he didn't even <laughs> wait a couple of days. It was literally the next day. <laughs> He just, like, just wait. He bought ten at once. He the cashed. car dealership was in one of the poorest regions in Brazil as well. So, like, he didn't even go to the upscale part of town to start throwing cash around. He went to the poor neighborhood that he lived in as a kid. <laughs> paid for ten cars, uh, all in unmarked cash with no serial numbers on it. That's he, probably, he was probably carrying him in bags with dollar signs on it as well. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Oh shit! Jesus. That's amazing. So yeah, that's 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 you know that's how you catch people who've done a heist. You know, I could basically be a detective with all the uh, <laughs> all the documentaries I've watched yeah, on heists. Right. You just go that's to right. every every strip club, every car dealership, every real estate agent who's just bought a shitload of stuff in cash who looks like a hobo. All right, he's that's right. <laughs> done. Sorted. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, the the other. 25 people must have been absolutely oh. pissed with that dude. You oh. would be. He ruined it for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Legit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think Not like- only did he get caught, but straight away he started giving them names. Yeah. Yeah. Like as they were arresting him. It was Big Digger's idea. Off, <laughs> spouting off names. The armadillo brought me into the group. <laughs> Little Fernando. That was a fantastic. What do you think a guy has to be like to get a nickname called like the tortured? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, like, man, I, I don't think that dude's fun to be around. Also, if you get the nickname the tortured in Brazil, you've had a really fucked up life. <laughs> because that entire country is the tortured. Yeah. So. If you're the only Brazilian guy in another place than Brazil, your name's the tortured. Grew <laughs> <laughs> up in Brazil, that's torture enough. Oh shit! That's amazing. I, um, yeah, it's a good story, and they they actually made a movie about it uh, called Ocean's Eleven: Federal Bank Heist. <laughs> Federal Bank Heist. What a name! Yeah. Oh, that really- received <laughs> received middling Banker reviews. <laughs> middling reviews. <laughs> what a shit title! That doesn't sound that exciting. Oh shit! That's amazing. Call it the heist of the century, oh. or. World's That's right. Greatest it, heist. It literally was the heist of the century. Yeah. Mm. It's still. T- this is fourteen years ago, and it's still to this day the biggest bank robbery of all time. They actually, some of the guys who didn't get caught, actually attempted to one up that, and they they tried to do. I think it was like a hundred and sixty meter tunnel, but they got caught before they broke into the vault. Wow, you're just being greedy at that point, really. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like when they split the money up, they were like, "Okay, guys, don't do anything crazy." Or do you think they were all like, "Let's all just go buy shit"? And he don't just happened go to be the- buy ten cars tomorrow. <laughs> he just happened to be the first one to get to the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, some other guy bought nine cars, but they went after the guy who bought ten cars first. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, nine cars is standard. Ten cars, though." That's just excessive. Uh, yeah, all right. That was uh, that was a really good one. All right, Brad, you got you got a, a juicy one for us, right? Yes, yes. So mine is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. Oh, uh, that's a mouthful. Yep. 
Yes, quite long, um, like the robbery. Uh, <laughs> foreshadowing. Now, this really is the perfect crime uh, because it remains unsolved to this day. <laughs> ah, perfect. Perfect criminals as well. Uh, perfect criminals. Uh, we'll, we'll see. So, March 18th, 1990, at 1.24am, two uniformed police officers knock on the door of the museum. Uh, it's located in Boston. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, security guard Richard Abuff is perplexed, but <laughs> because the... the <laughs> The museum has a policy not to let people in, obviously, after hours. However, two uniformed police officers, he thinks he's safe to let into the ah, building. You don't say no to the police. Exactly. So he, he unlocks the door for them. The officers walk in, and he's still behind uh, glass and protected and near the only alarm button in the entire building. One of the police officers go- goes to him, Hey, you look familiar. I think there might be an active warrant out for your arrest. Richard Abarth. Confused, complies with the officers and comes closer so they can check him out, where they handcuff him and call for his colleague. There's two people in, in the building. His colleague comes into the, into the thing and he's immediately handcuffed where the police say, sorry, boys, we're not cops. You're not under arrest. This is a robbery. Got him. <laughs> they drag him down to the basement and then the two uniformed police officers spend the next 81 minutes stealing 13 priceless works of art, totaling... Five hundred million dollars. Priceless, oh, Jesus. Priceless, but estimated value <laughs> five hundred million dollars. Um, <laughs> you fucked me up. <laughs> so during during the eighty one minutes, it, there's not a lot known because there is no security cameras, um, and there's there was no way to really track them apart from. Uh, no security people, um, cameras. This no this, security this cameras. Museum's motion, to get motion, this is ridiculous. They just have motion sensors, so they can have, they have a rough idea of where the criminals were at any given point um, as they set off motion sensors throughout the building. So through the they moved through two floors and about six rooms, and they picked up thirteen yeah thirteen works of art, um, including one of only thirty known uh, Vermeer paintings worth an estimated two hundred million dollars. Jesus! Now they believe that these people were not seasoned art professionals because they. Didn't remove the art very carefully. Uh, a lot of them were cut from their frames. <laughs> some some of the frames were, were taken off the wall uh, and then left in the security office, but most of them uh, were cut clean through the frame, um, which doesn't damage the painting too badly. But yeah, they were obviously they. That's that's like uh, you know when you buy baseball cards, you got to leave them in the, the plastic <laughs> foil, otherwise they lose all their value. Yeah, or comic no, books. As soon they, as you, as soon as you take them out of the plastic. They cut them out and then, like, rolled them up and they made oh, one trip to the car God. halfway through. Um, Was it fucking Mr. Bean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's an excellent movie. Do you think the guard was seeing them cut it out? He was like, mate, that's I know that's priceless, but you just <laughs> cut, like, $100 million off that priceless no, no. piece of <laughs> The guards were downstairs in a basement handcuffed to, like, pipes and oh, yeah. duct tape across their mouth and um, arms and, and legs. And no so they were completely immob- immobilized and they were left there until the morning. <laughs> That's just um, rude. Just rude, yeah. Uh, so after after the the perfect crime, because like I said, it is a perfect crime. No one has been caught. <laughs> um, the the museum offered a reward of five million dollars, right? And there was a ransom that was received four years later, only asking for two point six million dollars for the return uh, of the art. And they had to to accept the offer. They had to. Um, publish a coded message in the Boston Globe's business section 
which the director of the museum did with police assistance, and then nothing happened. Complete silence. Um, then it was reported that some of the artwork was getting around in the Philadelphia area, uh, which proved to be true, but they were still unable to track it down. In 1997, a Boston Herald reporter who'd been on the on the case for seven years was actually driven to a warehouse in Brooklyn, New York, where he was briefly shown one of the more expensive paintings, which is called The Storm oh, on the Sea wow. of Galilee by Rembrandt, valued at about $100 million. Ooh. He was shown it, and then he was giving paint chips from the 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 painting to prove that it was an authentic painting. Oh, God. So they cut it out of the frame, and then they're chipping paint off it as yep. well. These yep. guys have absolutely no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, so essentially they, they tested this paint, and it matched 17th century Dutch paint, oh. but it was not the same paint from the Storm of the Sea of Galilee. So oh. they have some sort of 17th century paint, but not the... Uh, same one. Interesting. Yeah, and then in May of 2014, the FBI confirms that they actually know who did the painting, uh, did the heist, <laughs> but the statute of limitations has run out, so they can't charge. Oh, the what? <laughs> what? And they what believe that there's what? What ran the statute out? of limitations on the on the on the the what on statute of limitations? Statute of limitations. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what I said three times. I thought you said statute the first two times. <laughs> no, statute of limitations uh-huh. uh, has has run out, and that um, two of the three people who perpetrated the crime are actually dead. Oh. But they refused to release the names of those two, which comes into play later. Um, in August 2015, the FBI releases the first ever surveillance footage of the crime from outside the building, trying to help identify the two men who went into the building, um, trying to look for leads and such. In late 2017, the reward is doubled to $10 million because they still believe they can get these paintings back. They know who committed the crime. The people are dead and one of them's in jail, but they're unable to locate the artwork. Uh, so what they're doing by not releasing the names is looking for credible leads. So anyone who knows the names of the two uh, men who died uh, yeah, would have credible leads because Got the it. art museum director still says that he gets about... He gets thousands of emails a year about where this art is. Yeah. Like people claiming to have this art. But essentially what's happened is that the art is just way too hot to move and it's gone. Like they've moved it. They keep moving it around and no one knows where it is at the moment except for this one person whose name has been released who's still alive and is in jail. His name is Robert Gentile and he refuses to tell anyone where it is despite the fact that his wife has confirmed that he had it at some stage. He's saying he's never had it. They've lie detected him, and they said that there's a 0.1% probability that he does not have this art. Yeah, well, <laughs> lie detectors. I mean, come on. Yeah. So anyway, perfect crime, perfect criminals, <laughs> but the merchandise is just too hot to move. I have always wondered about, like, art thieves. Yeah. Unless you specifically are stealing it for yourself... Like, what do you do? You can't sell it because it's so recognisable. No, you definitely can't. See, these, like, uh, crazy billionaires, like, you know, in the Gorker episode, we were talking about Peter Thiel and how he starts fucking with people because he's got that much money. Mm. It's like, when you've got that much money, you're either killing people, you got to be doing something weird because, you know, Mm. what else are you doing? So, if you hear that there's some hot art out there, like, you know, a 17th century painting worth 100 million, you're like, oh, fuck, I want to get that. So, then I can show... Sorry, I can show a select few people, like, you know, just my top, top buddies who are in the billionaire club. I can just show them, fucking got this painting. Check it out, dog. Check it out. You know? Yeah, but then <laughs> I think it's, a, it's a status thing. That you've got like, this painting. 
Interpol hear that you've got this painting, they raid your house, they take it as evidence, and then you've just lost fucking $200 million. Yeah, maybe. Or you would uh, set it up so it was like warehoused somewhere that you could access it, but it wasn't in your name or something. I don't know. Mm. You know, these people are smart. I'm sure they have ways of tracing it. Or you get on some dictator who hates America and give it to him. Or, you know, maybe that guy buys it himself just to flex on America. Yeah, maybe. Good point. <laughs> yeah. But basically I can the, see Saddam Hussein would have done that. Yeah. The museum's current director uh believes that they'll get the art back. He says that mo- like not he, a chance. He in what condition? He quoted as statistics like I think it was like 85 or 90% of stolen art is returned within a generation. No, nah, not a chance. What condition you is it going to come back? Offer a 10 million dollar reward for a 200 million dollar painting. Yeah, well, you, you, but that 200 million dollar painting is essentially Valueless because you can't sell it. Yeah. So ten million dollars is better than anything. They he reckons that what will happen is the people who committed the crime die. So either the intimidation factor about not revealing information goes, or family members who aren't really too aware of it come into possession of it, take it to the police, get the reward. Or they sell it at a garage sale for like twelve bucks. Well, yeah, they don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, the museum still has all the empty frames on display, and they have also become almost a, an attraction Modern in the right. <laughs> as, a, as a haunting reminder. <laughs> yeah, so people go there just to see the empty frames now. That <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah. Do you think if you Fun steal fact? a hundred million dollar painting and you start, you like cut it out of its frame, and then you start like cutting corners off it or you know chipping off some paint and stuff like that do you think it goes up in value because they're like fuck we have to pay more to get it back or do you think it goes down in value mm. i don't know that's an interesting it's like that. that uh it's like that banksy that went to auction and then as soon as it sold he activated a shredder that was built into yeah the, uh, that was hilarious the frame. That, if anything, that's worth more now that it's shredded. Well, yeah, it's the shredded Banksy thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. sticky tape it back together. That that's hard. right. So, these these paintings are worth more now because they're the stolen paintings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, but so it's, it's got also more the, history to it. It's a more exciting history, isn't it? any other mm. painting because it's got that added that's right. history to it or whatever. Mm. But it's also like if, if someone got kidnapped and you're, you know, going to be paying money for them and then someone cuts off their finger, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to pay more. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, because something's in danger, you have to, you know, the, the immediacy There's a sense of, of urgency. Yeah, yeah exactly. All yeah. right, Brad, that was, a, that was a really interesting one. I wonder what, mm. uh, yeah, what their goal was when they stole it. Were they just like, you know, we hate the art community, so fuck <laughs> <No>. them? <laughs> Still for I, shits I and genuinely giggles. believe that they were like, yes, stealing art, we can do that. But they didn't anticipate what they would do with it after they stole it. Yeah. Ah, they didn't like, think far enough ahead. Like they, they were like, "Yes, art's worth a lot of money. We'll steal this. It's the largest art heist in history." Take the, they, they spent eighty-one minutes there. They didn't take the most expensive items there. They walked past a lot of really expensive items. Um, they took the ones that they sort of like. They took Rembrandt's, Vermeers. They took Degas. So they, they had a general idea of what was expensive. But in getting to the Rembrandt's, they walked past some other paintings that were worth you know in excess of a hundred million dollars. So they didn't realize what was the most expensive. And then once they had the merchandise, I think then they realized how hard it was to move it. So it's just sitting somewhere. These people are idiots. How do you not do that research? Like, seriously, the difference, <laughs> like walking past one painting to get another could be the difference between like a $50 million painting and a $100 million painting. Like, fucking yeah. read a book. It's not a small head. difference, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Spend an afternoon, you know. 
You're risking your life to <laughs> do just, this heist. Just browse, browse the leaflet, you know, that they yeah. give you at the, the entryway of the museum. I'm disappointed that they didn't uh, destroy any art while they're in there. They're like, we can only carry these six out or whatever. They should have just fucked up well, some other ones. Why not? It's funny <laughs> that they, they actually took um what was it's called uh, an eagle finial that was from Napoleon the First, and they think that they took it because it, it's got a golden appearance, but it's actually made of brass. So it's like... Its value, as far as like precious metal is concerned, is next to nothing. It's just brass, but it's it's off his standard from one of his you know famous battles. So obviously that holds thing. But they still got the flag there. They just took the brass part because I think that they thought that it was gold. That's like their their theory is that they thought that it was a solid gold eagle statue. Looks shiny. Yeah, because it was sort of same similar color. So yeah. all right, crazy story. That was that was a good one. Huh. Um, all right, so we've had uh, a bunch of money being stolen. We've had some famous art being stolen. Uh, so now I'm going to talk about the great maple syrup heist. <laughs> so, I am personally looking forward to this one. You laugh, but this this is not a little this is not a little heist. So the the most remarkable thing about this story, I think, is not the heist itself. But the ridiculous laws in socialist Quebec that led to a cartel having so much power and influence that this heist is not only understandable, but it was probably unavoidable and potentially justifiable. So, in French Canada, you don't own the stuff that comes out of your maple tree. Maple water comes out, you boil it down to maple syrup, and then the Federation takes it and sells it for you. That's nice of them, isn't it? Such nice guys, eh? Oh, well, you know, it's only fair that the Federation take a small cut. And, you know, if you sell some without their permission, as if you have the fucking right to sell something that comes out of a tree that you grew, uh, you know, (laughs) then you'll get a small fine. But that's only fair. The Federation can't have you selling your own syrup. That's not right. So, the Federation sets quotas for producers. If you go above your quota, then the excess syrup you produce is stored in what they call the Global Strategic Reserve, which is a series of warehouses located around the province of Quebec. The syrup is stored in these giant white barrels with only a small sticker on each barrel to note the syrup's grade and origin. So picture a giant warehouse with identical barrels stacked six high and stretching as far as the eye can see. This is the sweetest place on earth and every red-blooded Canadian's (laughs) wet dream. (laughs) With so much syrup stored in one place and with such little security, a heist was inevitable, be it by humans or by bears. (laughs) Now, humans got to it first in 2011 when the guy who owned one of these warehouses, Avic Caron got in touch with a rebel syrup producer, Richard Vallier, and together they started taking barrels out of the warehouse, extracting the syrup to sell on the black market, then refilling the barrels with water and putting them back in the warehouse. It was (laughs) the perfect crime. (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. Genius. Uh, The Federation, these fucking communist French hoarders, were keeping so much goddamn syrup in this warehouse in order to imbalance the natural effect of supply and demand to their favour. Instead of cheap syrup flooding the market, you have expensive syrup from a very exclusive industry that is almost impossible to break into. Because good luck convincing the Federation to let you join in on their scam. And even if you can get them to give you a quota, you can only grow your business if the Federation deigns to allow you. So, 
Caron and Valier were making so much bank on this heist. They were taking literally millions of dollars worth of syrup and getting away with it. But of course, this story has a sad ending. Now, (laughs) this is the most Canadian heist possible. So what is the most Canadian ending possible to this exceptionally Canadian crime? Well, they were filling the barrels with water from a creek, but winter came and that creek froze over so they could no longer (laughs) refill the barrels. (laughs) On a a routine inventory inspection, a communist working for the Federation was counting (laughs) barrels. He climbed up to get a look at a hidden row of barrels and almost fell. Because you see, a full barrel of maple syrup weighs about 300 kilograms. You can easily pull yourself up on it. He grabbed the lip of a barrel to steady himself, and the barrel tipped over. It was empty. There's syrup missing. First they located all the empty barrels, then they started opening the full barrels too. Some were filled with water. All up, 9,571 barrels worth of syrup had been taken. That's 3,000 tons of liquid gold with a black market value of more than 18 million Canadian dollars. Holy shit. Caron and Valier got whacked with some massive fines and lengthy prison sentences, and today, the Federation is stronger than ever. The scam was over, and just like in every communist regime, the dissidents were crushed by the all-powerful state. Fuck Quebec. (laughs) Richard Valier is an honorary Anglo in my book. (laughs) (laughs) That is outrageous. It is a fucking mental system. That is ridiculous. So they... They literally just store it rather than sell it to keep the price high, basically. Yeah, because like they're, artificial they're waiting price. in case there's a lean year when um, the harvest is low. They can activate the, the scissor up in the warehouse if, and put that into the market so the the supply never drops, so therefore the price never goes up. So the price is steady because, yeah, oh but they, they're just God. storing so much goddamn syrup because that's why syrup is so that's expensive. That's the same strategy De Beers uses to keep the price of diamonds high. Yeah, well, they, they also just have own warehouses every full. diamond mine. <laughs> yeah, but they just have warehouses yeah. full of mm. diamonds that they just they just sit there to keep the supply low and yeah. the demand is fucking huge. But they also mine their own every diamonds. Single they don't just take every other body, everybody's diamond. fucking syrup. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, don't even get me started on the whole fucking communism. Oh thing. my god, that's, that's ridiculous! Disgusting. I can't believe that they they're allowed to get away with that. I think Canadians should rise up and just raid these warehouses. Absolutely, yeah. they're they're French. The though. French they have just... never been one to shy away from a revolution, so I don't understand <laughs> why they let why they let them get away with that. Yeah, it's outrageous. Uh, yeah, it, it is a it is a wacky system. But could you just could you imagine working on a farm? Where you've got all these maple trees and stuff comes out of the tree, but you have no right to sell it. It has to go through the Federation. Like, isn't that just fucking mental? That is literal it's, communism. They're treating yeah. it like it's controlled. Sub- yeah, it's co- it's collective farming. It's it's communism. That's it's it, they've socialized the system, so everything has to go through the central control. Like, I don't know this if is- our listeners have been paying attention to our past episodes, but we're pretty uh against communism here so <laughs> yeah when we when we say that's literally communism that's a very bad thing in our eyes it's you know we're not fucking yeah, we're not for it <laughs> we're not we're not 19 year old university students who have been indoctrinated by their liberal professors <laughs> uh, we believe communism is a bad thing here shots fired oh shit um, um yeah i would be fucking furious if someone came up and told me these trees that or on your property that you've maintained to an extent. I mean, yeah. trees pretty much look after themselves. But, you know, they said, you can't have the shit that came out of it. It's like, 
Get your own fucking land. Yeah. Plant your own fucking tree. Could you imagine an apple falls from your apple tree in your backyard oh. and the government's like, hey, we need a piece of that. That's yeah. our apple. That's our apple. That's our now, like, <laughs> technically, if you produce maple syrup on your farm, you can sell it direct to consumers. Like, if they physically come to your house and they want to buy, you know, mm. a jug worth, you can sell it to them straight to them. But, but you, you can't know, sell it to, like, a supplier. Yeah, exactly. And, you yeah. know, obviously, you're not going to be able to make money if you're selling no. out of your shack. Because a lot of these people live in the fucking middle of nowhere. I mean, you have to have hundreds and hundreds of Yeah, you got to have a farm. Trees. you got to have thousands of trees, basically, to get syrup. Yeah. So, it's like, <laughs> you've got a shitload of land. People would have to drive all the way to you. Like, it's just not feasible to that run a business that way. So, um, yeah. It's, that is mental. That may well be the most justified heist <laughs> in all of history. Yeah. I, I can get behind that heist. Like, I would, I would support more people performing yep. that exact heist. <laughs> yeah i thought i just thought it was so funny that the um they they started getting lazy or you know overconfident or whatever but they they were doing exactly what they should be doing which is taking the syrup out yeah. filling it up with water and then filling the barrel back up with water and then putting the barrel back in because when they come to do these <laughs> fucking inventory inspections they just go past and they just count the barrels like yes there was supposed yeah. to be you know twelve thousand eight hundred blah, 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 barrels and yes there are that many so you know, as long as, <laughs> as those long lazy as commies can, aren't going to check. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Canadian version of stealing your dad's bourbon and filling it back up with tea. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but oh, that's, shit. That's the only reason they got caught is because they couldn't fill it up with water, so they just started putting the barrels back empty. And this guy, <laughs> like, tipped over a barrel. Because he was like, it's supposed to be full, obviously. So, yeah. why is it empty? And then he realized a bunch of others were empty. And uh, Yeah, but... Um, did, did it say how much they got fined there? Because when they, they sold, like, $18 million worth of syrup, did they get fined more than $18 million? <laughs> yeah, they... I'm sure they didn't sell it for $18 million. It would have been $18 million that the Federation said it was worth. Mm. No, no, it was it oh. was a black market value of $18 million. So, some, oh, some of the yeah. reports at the time yeah. were saying it was $30 million worth of syrup, but See, it's like... that's like when the police seize a bunch of drugs and they're like, oh, this is $60 million worth of cocaine on the street, but it's not actually... That's if you sell like, it at a no gram one, at a time or something. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it's right. At its lowest denomination. Yeah. Um, but, but no, How they, much did they get fined? That's oh, really what I was going for. Shit, Louis, like, um, the Richard Valier, the... Um, he was he was the main guy because he is a maple syrup producer in Quebec and he sells mm. on the black market all the time. So he's always getting in trouble for selling on the black market. Like whenever you do that, you get fined something like a dollar twenty per pound of maple syrup if they can prove that you've sold it on the black market. So they'll they'll just give you huge fines. And at that like at that um at that fine per pound, it's not worth selling on the black market because no one's going to buy it for enough that it would be worth selling it. So it mm-hmm. um he's been doing that. All of the time, and uh, he hooked up with this guy Avi Caron, who um, owned a warehouse that he owned, like the storage facility that the Federation was using to store this maple syrup. So he had access to it, obviously. So he yeah. got he he got a, a truck driver to put all the syrup on the uh, trucks, and the truck driver claims, oh, "I didn't know that it was I wasn't I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. I was just you know the guy owns the warehouse, and he told me to do it, so I did it. You know, so he he got away with it basically." Um, <laughs> Uh, but they took the syrup to Richard Valier's um, sugar shack, they call it, which is where they produce <laughs> maple syrup. And they transferred the syrup from the, the big uh, 
the big barrels into his vats and stuff, and then he just sold it to his contacts on the black market. But instead of him selling like, oh, you know, I've got a <laughs> 500 litres of syrup or whatever to sell you, he's like, I've got like 60,000 litres of syrup. <laughs> 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 it's just selling him so much fucking goddamn syrup. So the people on the black market also got... Uh, in trouble because presumably they knew it was stolen syrup and not they're on know, the produced black market though. Like, come on, <laughs> no, no, but yeah. it's totally it's totally legal for them to buy it because he's selling it to people who are in uh, New Brunswick or in America or something like that. And there's no law against them buying. Yeah, there's no syrup commie laws exactly. So these <laughs> yeah. guys are buying it and then sending it overseas or sending it to America or something. So the guy in New Brunswick, for example, he buys black market syrup all the time and the federation have come after him and he's like i'm not in quebec fuck off like you can't tell me what syrup i can and can't buy you communist fuck off so he he always got away with it but then this time because he bought so much syrup at once from one guy they um they they decided that it was it was reasonable to assume that he knew that it was stolen syrup so uh he, you can't buy stolen syrup so he got he got issue uh, for that. that's uh, uh that's a real sticky situation <laughs> yeah <laughs> One thing, if a guy named Rashad ever invites me to the Sugar Shack, you better believe I'm going now. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, no, but he, he got a long uh, prison term and he got a huge fine as well. I think it was something like $8 million and, or it might have been $10 million. Jesus. And if he wasn't able to pay the fine, then he had to spend longer in prison or something like that. So, um, it was so a he fine. stole a bunch more syrup and paid the fine. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> hanging around in the yard of that prison. What are you in for? I killed a man. What about you? Sold a bunch of maple syrup. <laughs> Not no, a bunch, the, the like other a metric fuck ton. The other prisoners would have been like, oh shit, hook me up, brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would have loved it. He just sweat syrup. <laughs> um, yeah, How that- do you get syrup out of a barrel, though, man? Like That's got to be a painstaking task no you just get a pump you just pump it because he, he's got vats of maple syrup so he pumps it in and out of vats and stuff like that so it's just fucking pump it out of the, the, oh, okay. yeah, the barrel that's no, neat I, I assume when you worked all your life in the maple syrup industry you got all that sort of equipment because they, they knew yeah. for example who to look for like we're looking for someone who has access to this warehouse so it's not that hard to find out of all the it's just a fucking warehouse that stores maple syrup like there's not that many employees <laughs> so who could it be and um they figured out it could be the guy who owns the fucking warehouse and then also it has to be someone who has access to the black market and who can sell like a vendetta against the syrup federation yeah they they figured out that these two guys (laughs) had been in contact and stuff like that so it wasn't it wasn't that hard to sell so it it was a sort of crime i said it was a perfect crime at the start it's a perfect crime if you like cover your tracks and you just fucking put full barrels back in there because as soon as they notice syrup's missing, there's only a certain number of people it can be. So you're going to get caught once mm. they realize there's a problem. Your, your goal is to get as much money as you can before they realize there's a problem. So um, they kind of fucked that up. Yeah. Unfortunate for him. He's a, he's a fallen hero. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, fuck Quebec. Uh, so now there are so many awesome big value heists that we can talk about. Uh, all day there's the antwerp diamond heist which has since been dubbed the heist of the century and there's the pink panther group uh which has pulled off some of the most brazen and audacious heists for hundreds of millions of dollars of uh jewels all up uh but we only have time to talk about a few so we've each chosen another heist to talk about briefly brad do you want to start us off by telling us about db cooper yes db cooper is a particularly unusual heist because he wasn't heisting money in the 
traditional sense, he was heisting people for money. <laughs> um, so basically, DB Cooper is, is a it's an antonym for a man who posed as Dan Cooper and on the 24th of November 1971, hijacked a Boeing 747 full of people and with a bomb and demanded $200,000 Roughly the equivalent of one point two, yeah, one point two million dollars in twenty eighteen. Um, it's a kind of unusual story because it's never been solved. They've never found him, no trace of him, um, or the money. So the flight was the between Portland cramp. and Seattle. He jumps on the flight, <laughs> hands the flight attendant a note, and says, "Hey, I've got a bomb." And she's like, "Oh shit, bruh. And he's like, <laughs> "Tell the pilot that I want four parachutes and two hundred thousand dollars, or I'm gonna blow this bitch out of the air." They're like, okay, we're taking this pretty seriously. The FBI is like, shit, yeah, we better take this seriously. So they source all the money from local banks in the area where the plane is to land and get the four parachutes from flight school, from flight schools in the air. Plan Lanes is on the ground for two and a half hours. And the FBI eventually transfers, gives him the bags full of money and the parachutes. And he's like, all right, everybody get off the plane except for four crew members and me. Remember, he's only got four parachutes. Well, so <laughs> I was like, if I was one of those crew members, I'd be like, shit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, he goes to the captain, or the pilot, sorry. He goes, take this bitch off as slow as you can, maintaining 10,000 feet, and don't pressurize the plane. And they're like, uh, okay, man, but that creates drag. We're not going to be able to fly very far. He's like, not a problem. <laughs> so when the plane takes off, he forces the crew into the cabin, Tells him not to look because he doesn't want to see. He doesn't want them to see where he jumps out. And at some stage, with five planes following him from the military, he jumps out and disappears. No one knows where he is. No, there's no theories. They've never found body, parachute, money, nothing. It's never made it into circulation. The money because they had all the serial numbers of the money because it was taken from banks. Um, They have no idea. It's just completely unsolved. A lot of people speculate that he died in from the jump. But a lot of people also think he just, you know, jetted down to Mexico. He got caught and uh, ended up in Foxworth Prison uh, <laughs> with Michael Schofield. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's TV Cooper there. It's it's just crazy Yeah, to I hijack a plane and then get the money. Like, they, they were on the ground and for two disappear. and a half hours and, no, like, the FBI were like, oh, we ain't fucking with him. Like, they didn't even try and. Like, nowadays, I don't think you'd get that plane back off of, off the ground. We don't negotiate oh, with terrorists. Not. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, he, he, they, the, the flight crew and everyone said that he was super calm and courteous and was very nice to them. And he was dressed very nice, like he had a suit and a clip-on tie. And he was just very calm and very nice. So, they weren't too worried. But the flight attendant <laughs> asked to see the bomb. And he opened up the bag and he had a 4 by 4 circular tubes, red tubes with wiring and stuff. And she was like, oh, that seems pretty legit. It sounds to me like a cartoon Acme <laughs> Looks bomb. Looks like but, a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- they believe he actually had a bomb. I don't know. But, yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah. That's D.B. Cooper. Yeah. The, as Lachlan said, the only thing I know about D.B. Cooper is that he was a character in uh, <laughs> Prison Break in the first season. And I was like, oh, this is based on a real thing. Oh, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, that is a pretty cool story. And uh, yeah. speaking of bombs, I think Lachlan's going to tell us about a heist with a bomb as well. Oh, baby. So, there's this thing. It's kind of like it's something out of the movie Saw. Uh, this dude in uh, August 2003, this dude, Brian Wells, he's a 46-year-old pizza delivery man. So, got absolutely <laughs> nothing going for him. Rocks up to a bank. <laughs> 
rocks up to a bank, hands the bank teller a note saying, "Kill me." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly doing saying, this whole life thing wrong. There's, there's, I've got a bomb strapped to me. Give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or it goes up. So the bank teller's like, "Well, I can give you eight thousand dollars." So it, gave, it gives him a bag with eight thousand dollars in it. Uh, that's good enough for him. So we negotiate late. with terrorists. We negotiate very right. badly with terrorists, but yes, we do negotiate <laughs> with terrorists. <laughs> that's enough for him. So he leaves. Um, he gets in his car, drives away. He's heading to another bank. The police catch up with him. And he starts screaming, "The bomb's going to explode! The bomb's going to explode!" And the bomb explodes, blows his fucking head to pieces. Oh Jesus! Um, mm. So the 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 story is that um, people basically kidnapped him. Strapped this bomb around his neck. Uh, it was just like a big handcuff around his neck, so he couldn't get it off. And then sent him to this bank to get two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And if he didn't get it, they were gonna blow his head off. And the police got him, so they blew his head off. Upon further investigation, um, it's a really interesting story, and I recommend anyone who's interested in it look it up and and read the whole story. Turns out that he was actually involved in the plot. Bum, bum, like, bum. Yeah, it was it was part of his <laughs> like he was part of the planning. He was he wasn't a victim. He was part of the heist. He went south. Though. Um, yeah, went south. I I can't remember exactly why they blew his head off. Probably just to. I think it was just know, because they realized from, that he was yeah implicating the rest yeah. of the people. Uh, question. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. If this guy was in on it, uh, mm-hmm. why did he agree to have a real bomb strapped to him? Listen, it is obviously not the brightest spark. Like I said, 46-year-old pizza delivery man. Um, I've seen the the documentary about this called uh, Evil Geniuses, by the way. Um, He definitely was not a genius. Yes, I know. But the people who strapped the bomb to him apparently were. Um, From what I understand, he was told it was fake, and then when they got there, Uh. they flipped the script on him, and they're like, it's actually real. (laughs) She got real real quick. Yeah, and then... They also gave him like a set of instructions, you know, to mm. complete, to get the keys to de- um, to delay the the explosion, and then the police, after he died, ran through those activities, and they never gave him enough time to do those activities. Oh god! Yeah. Like even if he'd completed each one of them in minimal time, he still would have. Yeah, died. it was like a scavenger hunt. Each yeah. clue led to another place, and there was another clue there. Yeah, it and was he died like on the first uh, one. if you've seen if you've <laughs> if you've seen that um, Black Mirror episode. Uh, I think it's called Shut Up and Dance. Yeah. That yeah. kid uh, gets forced to do all these different jobs by these people who have hacked his computer. It's it's like that, except instead of a uh, video of him jerking off, it was a bomb strapped around his neck. Mm. Equally bad. And his reward was a <laughs> fist-sized hole in his chest. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. Do, do you think if you made it to the second bank, he would have asked for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or he would have been like, oh, "I've already got eight. Just give me two forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How's shit. the balls on the bank teller though? Like, <laughs> yeah. Someone with a someone with a bomb. Like he he showed them the bomb. Yeah. Someone with a bomb strapped around their neck, like on their chest. Yeah. Oh, it's, says, it's give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars. The teller's like. I got eight. Yeah. <laughs> the the video of him dying is it's actually broadcast on national TV because it was like a live thing. Oh, yeah. Um, really upsetting to watch if you're, you know, affected by that kind of stuff. Um, 
And Brad, of course, has no feelings. No, so no. Uh, the the collar around his Brad's neck home page is very is visible. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't not believe him. Like he, he there's a giant metal thing that he's covered poorly. Yeah, it was the just like a big, a big yeah. handcuff. It was yeah. built exactly the same as a this handcuff. metal ring around his neck, and he's covered it poorly with a t-shirt. And the cops just made him sit on the street. And he was, like, screaming at them, like, help me, help me. Yeah, it's going to blow. It took him 15 minutes to decide to call the bomb squad. And then the, <laughs> he, it got detonated two minutes before the bomb squad got there. Yeah. Oh, so, God. unlucky, really. Yeah, there's, there's a there's a movie loosely based on that called 30 Minutes or Less. And I, I watched Good that. Good movie. Yeah, I watched that a while ago. But then when I learned that, you know, the real story behind it, I was like, oh, that's quite a gruesome story to turn into. A movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Didn't that Jesse Eisenberg in it, like the Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, kid? I think it had um, the guy who plays Kenny Powers as well. What's his name? Danny McBride. Oh, Danny McBride, yeah. I've seen that movie. Actually. It's not very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Thirty Aziz Minutes. Ansari was in it. Yes, I have yeah, seen that. Ansari is in it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even connect those two in my head when I read yeah, it. Yeah, that rapist. Not, that good. The movie. The movie kind of sucked, but. Um, I don't know if you heard what I just said there. But okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so the the last the last heist we're going to talk about is uh, I'm going to tell you about the time the U.S. government misplaced six billion dollars worth of cash. So, quote in, unquote, misplaced. <laughs> yeah. In 2004, as the U.S. was focusing on the reconstruction of Iraq after their uh, massively successful invasion. <laughs> uh, they sent- Mission accomplished, boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they sent just fucking plane loads of pallets of cash. It was US currency uh, because US currency is basically a universal currency. Anyone will take it. Whenever a currency fails, the locals start trading in US dollars. So they sent them physical money. How much was sent? Uh, somewhere between 10 and $20 billion. Uh, anyway, when the treasury- was doing the books. They couldn't account for six billion of this cash, and uh, they <laughs> presumed that it was stolen. So Stuart Bowen, the special in- inspector general for Iraq reconstruction, admitted at the time that he couldn't account for the money, and he called it possibly the largest theft of funds in national history. Which begs the question: Why national history? Why not international Christ- <laughs> history? When has anybody <laughs> stolen more than six billion dollars worth of cash? You fucking idiot! So, um, <laughs> the U.S. has spent uh, somewhere between four and six trillion dollars on pointless wars in the Middle East. So, six billion dollars is basically fucking nothing. Obama was probably Drop dropping in the ocean. Yeah, Obama was probably dropping six billion dollars worth of bombs every day on the middle east and north africa so it's only really <laughs> startling this time because it's actual physical money that was uh that was uh wasted it was crisp clean hundred dollar bills so you guys ready for a quiz well okay I, okay i have a question when you're done but yes, right. go ahead. number one which former u.s president is on the 100 dollar bill uh benjamin Welcome. no is it harrison Welcome. Uh, is it Benjamin Franklin? He wasn't a president, though. Trick question. Yes, good job. Trick question. It was Benjamin Franklin, not a president. Mm. All right. Uh, question number two. Which rapper had a song called It's All About the Benjamins? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Ice Cube. Puff Daddy. Uh, Damn. Which close. parody rap song includes the line, It's All About the Hamiltons? Uh, Lazy Sunday. Yes. Correct. All right. Brad. Get your calculator out. How many $100 bills do you need to have $6 billion? Uh, 600B. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Look. Ah. Do you know? I, I, I don't know. Uh, so that is... 
million $100 bills. Oh, shit. It's two zeros, not one zero. Fuck. Yeah. And uh, a pallet can hold roughly $100 million in $100 bills. So how many pallets of $100 bills do you need to steal if you're stealing $6 billion? How much can a pallet hold? If you've got a pallet stacked with $100 US bills, that's about $100 million. So how many of those pallets do you have to steal to steal $6 billion? You're not you're not putting money in a briefcase when you steal six million six billion dollars. You're fucking Wait, getting it? a forklift and you're moving pallets. How many pallets are you moving? Sixty pallets. <laughs> How many 60? pallets like that? That's sixty pallets. Yeah, sixty pallets. Yeah, sixty. That's what I was going to ask you. How, how much? Like, that's. <laughs> so, yeah. How much is a, a pallet normal, weigh? Like, presumably, a normal it's a semi trailer can hold like fifteen pallets. 15, 16 pallets, depending on how you're stacking. <laughs> you need four, <laughs> four semi trucks. 60 pallets of cash. It's so, like four semi trucks, is it? Yeah. When when people start using words like million, billion, and trillion, I think that, that it just starts all turning into more money than I've ever seen or could count. So it's all so, sort of feels the same way. But $6 million, you could basically have in like a big. Duffel bag. You could carry it around in a big yeah. backpack. Six million dollars. It's a lot of money, but six billion dollars is a thousand times six million dollars. It's a yeah. thousand of those bags. So it's sixty pallets of one hundred dollar bills. That is outrageous. That was stolen. That just and went they missing. Just lost them. They just lost sixty pallets of money. It's not like you left. You left a little briefcase <laughs> unattended, and someone nicked the briefcase. <laughs> Sixty pallets unattended. Somebody took it's sixty like, pallets with the cash. It's like that pallet of money in Breaking Bad that the, yeah, the yeah, big that's... black guy lays on as a bed. There's one sixty. Sixty of them. <laughs> Holy shit! Right, so uh, yeah, good job with the quiz, guys. If if anyone tells you that the government should be in charge of anything at all, just ask them this question: When? What is the largest amount of money that a private company has ever misplaced? <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> do you think? Uh, do you think any private company would ever go? Oh, what what happened to that six billion dollars in cash that we had? You don't know? Oh, oh well, don't worry about it. Whatever. No, we had a look. We couldn't find it, but no biggie. <laughs> Holy fuck! So in, in that two- is just disappointing. <laughs> in 2011, seven years after this happened, right? Seven years later, the mm. government released a report claiming that that missing six billion dollars actually did end up where it was supposed to go which is the central bank of Iraq. But, you know, that's that's awfully convenient. Seven years after they turn out, oh, it actually went where we wanted it to go. But oh even if that God. is true, is that really much better? It's like the Iraqi, you, you know, we're yeah, saying- Yeah, they thought they lost it, but they actually didn't. <laughs> yeah, they're saying, oh, no, we didn't lose $6 billion. The bank just took it and didn't tell us about it. Like <laughs> we the- didn't lose 60 pallets <laughs> of money that we thought we did. The, the new government of Iraq was supposed <laughs> to be our allies, helping to rebuild their country. Uh, but, you know, they couldn't pick up the phone and go, oh, you know, we saw all those news stories about how you don't know where <laughs> $6 billion is. Oh, just let me know. We took that. You know, we were supposed to take it and we took it. Like, oh, they, they're, they're our allies, but they didn't say, oh, yeah, we have that $6 billion. So is it really that much better, even if it did go to where it was supposed to go? I Holy think that's actually shit. worse. I think that's worse. If it wasn't lost, but they thought it was, I think that's worse than it actually just being stolen. <laughs> oh my! God. I'm just thinking about the physical pallets being picked up on a forklift, 
rolled into 60 a times yeah 60 of them <laughs> and no one going hey where's that going like i i uh, live i live that's in, above my pay grade i live in an apartment in melbourne i was thinking about this today i literally don't think you could fit six billion dollars in you in hundred dollar bills in my apartment if you just stack no, no the you couldn't apartment. you couldn't no you it's, could not yeah. a chance absolutely <laughs> Uh, mental. All right. So oh, man. Uh, I think it's anarcho capitalism is the only acceptable form of government. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think it's time for everybody's favorite segment Morgan's movie review. Morgan. 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 Morgan's movie review. All right. The Town 2010 is a damn good heist movie the film oh. starts with a heist where the protagonist rob a bank wearing creepy skull and dreadlock masks man what a great opening scene there are so many little details that you just know are going to come up later in the movie if that scene doesn't get you hooked then you need to ask yourself how much do you really love heist movies how much do you really <laughs> love the affleck brothers <laughs> another another heist scene involves an armored vehicle with some nun masks and fully automatic weapons God damn, the adrenaline is through the roof in this scene. There are so many memorable moments in this movie. It is genuinely thrilling. The plot is captivating and the accents are ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not usually attracted to Blake Lively. I know I should be. She's obviously gorgeous, but I'm not. So, sue me. However... (laughs) However, her character in the town is an absolute smoke show. She is one... Spicy Fox. I don't know if it's the trampy makeup or the trashy Boston accent, but Lively is off the Scoville scale in this movie. Uh, (laughs) Good reference. The town has everything I could possibly wish for in a crime film. I'm a simple man. If it's set in Boston and stars one of the Affleck brothers, I'll watch it. Nine out of ten. (laughs) Yes. Fuck yes. By the way, I think with Blake Lively, it's because she's more obtainable. Like, the trashier they are, the more obtainable they are. It just makes them hotter. Yeah, okay. I'll go with that. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. Did we go and see that in the movies together, me and you, Mooks? Uh, I we think may, we did. We may have, yeah. yeah. It's a fucking good movie. God, it, it just, mm. It's adrenaline, start to finish. Mm. It's so good. And, you know, the, the plot in between all the heists and stuff is yeah. uh, will we'll get your attention to. It's, it's a really excellent movie. And, you know, Ben Affleck can direct everybody thought after goodwill hunting it was like all right you've got matt damon and his retarded friend and they share credits and stuff so that's nice of matt <laughs> <Yeah>. damon to <laughs> give, give credit to his special needs friend but no yeah. ben affleck uh is legitimately a great writer and director and everything so you know good for him um mm. yeah he's fantastic <laughs> and then you're right the Afflecks are both excellent actors as well. Casey, un- criminally underrated. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. I love Casey. What was that? Is it Gone Baby Gone or the- that? Gone is- Girl. No, the- Go- <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. Gone Girl is a Ben Affleck movie. Gone Baby Gone is a Casey Affleck movie. And the- both great movies. Gone Baby yeah. Gone is just, you know, it- it'll, scar- it'll scar you for life. So don't, don't yeah. watch it. Absolutely amazing as well. I wish I never watched it. It's an amazing film. Uh, yeah. Brad, yeah, you- I haven't seen I haven't seen the town. I was hoping that you would review uh, the Italian job for <laughs> Which this one? episode because the the, the remake. Or, uh, no, the remake. The, this Jason Statham remake. Yeah, because uh, I love Mark Wahlberg, and I know it's not a good movie, but it's just a really fun movie. Oh, yeah. that had Edward Norton in it as well, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. There's that the movie he didn't want to make, so he just gives like the most half-assed performance yeah, ever. Yeah, such a shitty performance. Yeah, I love that. Nicholas caged yeah. it. Um, yeah, he caged it. 
There are so many good, fucking good heist movies that I was just mm. like, I didn't know where to start. Yeah, so I just thought, really yeah, you were spoiled for choice this week. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought there's a really good one with uh, Clive Owen called Inside Man. Have you guys seen that? No. no. Oh, I would recommend. I won't spoil it because it's a really good twist, but uh, you should watch it. All right, we could. Yeah, I just I didn't know what to watch because there's so many good ones. But I remember I watched a town when it came out in the theaters. Haven't seen it since, and I was like, oh man, this is gonna be a great night. So yeah, had a few yeah. beers and watched the town, and uh, it was fucking awesome. So Lachlan uh, would definitely recommend. And if Ben Affleck ever right, wants I'll to whisper something in your ear, uh, don't let him. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> uh, Brad, do you want to uh, close this out with Brad's power rankings? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, just quickly, last week we had a bit of drama, someone accusing someone of plagiarizing uh, <laughs> intros, and uh, I did receive a cease and desist, uh, and after consulting my lawyer- Hang on, what? Uh, <laughs> I, I received a letter in the mail from one Morgs movie review that uh, demanded the immediate cease and desist of the serious? use of my uh, intro because- Apparently, it's too similar to this. You actually uh, got a letter. Yes, a physical letter. Um, <laughs> he sent you a letter in the mail. <laughs> an actual physical letter. Uh, it's not what a fucking dickhead. It's not often that you get to actually send something through the mail. So, I thought that was it's, a nice It was very cheer. official. And I, I consulted the, the show's lawyer that we have on retainer, and he advised me to publicly apologize, which I will not do. But um, I will... Stop using the, the intro that uh, I used last week. So I've designed a new one. Um, let's hit it. Brad's Power Rankings. <laughs> that was so, very good, Brad. Uh, Brad, on, on second thoughts, you can, you can reuse the, the, the one that infringed upon my copyright. stuck with this now. It's your own fault. <laughs> Should think of things before you start sending letters. Um, I'll, 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 um, I'll upload that uh, letter and put it in the link because I, I did yeah. enjoy writing I you. you sent I, him a I didn't enjoy writing. It's a legitimate physical copy of a letter. I, I, I got it. I'm like, what the fuck is this in the mail? I haven't received mail in years. I opened it up and I was like, holy shit! He actually did it. Uh, it was very well written, though. I'll give him that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what's your pairing? Is he say? Okay, so my power rankings are controversial list this week. <laughs> Best people to rob slash burglarize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? You'll see. All right. How many? How Top many? five. And we will be descending from five to one. Are you going to make this a regular thing? It seems you've been doing a lot of five to one countdowns. Yeah. Are you going to... Five seems pretty good. If, if, if it's a rich list, maybe I'll go so ten. So, five is the worst. Five best. worst, yeah. Just any worst is the, the worst best. best to rob. Yeah. You're going to start at five. Yeah. Go to one. Work my way and down go to one. one. Right. And one is the best best. Best to rob, rob yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Number five. Children. <laughs> <laughs> they are the definition of a low risk, low reward target. Oh, yeah. So they usually hold nothing of value, but let's face it, you're going to feel like a total boss when you roll that punk five-year-old for his lunch money and punt him into next week if he gives you any fucking guff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's right, number five. This is, this is already my favorite Brad's power rankings. <laughs> the elderly coming in at number four. <laughs> number four. Women. <laughs> Now, I seize this as a crime of opportunity. 
The fairer sex <laughs> is able to be physically intimidated in the streets and purses and money quickly extorted. Oh my God. We this one's for this. the beginners looking to step it up from children. <laughs> we, can't, we can't upload this episode. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> We definitely get. All right, so that 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 makes sense, Brad. What's number three? Yeah, number three. <laughs> Rolling on in. Differently abled people. <laughs> now, now, before you rob them, at least use the politically correct term. If you're gonna exactly. if you're gonna rob a disabled person, at least use the right term. We're a PC show here. Now they're usually. Easy targets, oh not always. Um, they're either often physically unable to defend themselves or potentially unable to tell they're being robbed. <laughs> but but they, <laughs> they can have that tasty government money, which will require a, usually a less brute force technique and more of a con man style robbery. Oh my god. <laughs> So it's not a violent okay. crime, so you get put away for yeah, quite yeah. as long. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. No, number two. <laughs> Elderly people. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is uh, the epitome of the long con. <laughs> you can make these have these robberies happen in many legal and illegal ways. Brute force is always an option, but if you get oh. caught, you better believe you'll have an express ticket on the pain train. <laughs> like in prison and by the police everywhere, you get you're gonna get absolutely fucked up. The, my preferred method of choice here is to provide the love they desperately require because their family thinks that they're a burden, and they are. But the only thing that will be burdened is your bank account when you roll them for their superannuation and anything else of value. Bonus points if you make it into the will. Oh, God. <laughs> oh Jesus. Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for number one. <laughs> what could be number one after all this? I, I don't know. I don't know. Number one. Oh, God. Rich old dudes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a certain type of swindler to get rich old yeah. dudes, all right? Well, physically feeble like every other entrant on this list, they often hoard priceless works of art and other valuables. That being said, they're a high-reward, high high-risk target. <laughs> As some have pest- pesky security systems Or even peskier security guards That will have to be thwarted In order to get their tasty tasty old man loot <laughs> <laughs> That's my power <laughs> oh, Bonus points if you're an attractive lady And uh, a young oh. attractive lady And then you can just swindle them in the legal way You know you can Anna Nicole Smith them Yes yes exactly um, Brad I think that was a collection of the worst things you've ever said. <laughs> and that's saying something, really. Uh, so I confirmed this week that uh, my mum pretty much listens to all of our podcast episodes. I Hi, Kathy. didn't know that Kath listened to that many of them, and I apologise for what I just said. <laughs> Kathy taught you the grift, Because she? she brought up the trolley problem episode from last season and, and brought up my hierarchy of people that I would like to kill. <laughs> and this is much worse. Um, it's an hey, so, disabled people right in the top of the list to die last season, and now you put him at number what? Number three? <laughs> number, number three. three. Yeah. Well, yeah, moving so on up. You, you, you're. Uh, <laughs> you're uh, you that know, is atrocious. You're becoming more I'm tolerant sorry, and understanding, Brad. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. Oh, All our mothers listen to the show now. Isn't that fucking 
Amazing. We love you. This episode is dedicated to our wonderful mothers who raised us very well, despite what you may think from listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, they are, all three of them, excellent, beautiful women. So We act this way in spite of the way they raised us, not because of the way they <laughs> raised us. Thank you to Kathy, Mary, and Regina. Uh, this episode is dedicated to you. Yeah. If there's any uh, lawyers out there who specialise in free speech and are interested in working pro bono, uh, we'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Hit us up, fredersbadperson at gmail.com, please. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Uh, Check out our website, bradisbadperson.com. You'll find links to all of our social media and everywhere you can listen to and subscribe to us. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot. And share this episode with your friends. Maybe tell them to skip the last five minutes of the episode if they are easily or actually even capable of being offended. (laughs) If they have hearts. (laughs) You didn't seem too offended, (laughs) Lonely.